Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to Mapping the College Audition, a podcast where we explore the landscape of the college theater world and try to demystify this daunting audition process. As ever, I am your host, Charlie Murphy, one of the directors of MTCA, that's Musical Theater College Editions, and today we've got our other director coming on the pod to celebrate our 100th episode. Pew, 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 pew. Leo Ash Evans is on the pod, and many of you listening will know him, or at least know of him. Uh, alongside being the other director of MTCA, Leo is a fellow Carnegie Mellon graduate, much older than me, of course, and grew up a stone's throw away from from my house in the suburbs of Pittsburgh, though we didn't know each other until meeting with MTCA. Um, I think you're really going to enjoy the interview. Leo and I squeezed it in a busy day with meetings and end-of-year consults for our seniors, but we had a lot of fun, as we always do, chatting with each other. I'm going to skip the personal update today and just throw out a huge thank you to you, our listeners, as we reach our 100th episode. I started this podcast a few years back knowing that there was a demand for it and knowing that I had some things to explore and some things to say, but also desperately did not want to write a book. But I really didn't anticipate quite the level of success and interest that there would be. Um, I knew people who were going through this process or had just gone through this process would be interested, but we've ended up reaching a much broader listener base in terms of age and location than I had really dreamed of. According to our metrics, we've reached almost 20,000 unique listeners with many more tens of thousands of downloads. Um, We've reached listeners in 75 countries, many of which I can't pronounce and won't try to hear. And while we have students all over the world, there are many countries represented on that list that we have never had students in, which speaks to the power of the internet and speaks to the generosity of all of you as listeners sharing it with your networks and helping to spread this pod all over the globe. This podcast is certainly a labor of love and a passion project. Of course, it serves to advertise our company for those who can afford coaching services like ours, but we do want it to be of use to all, including those who can't. So, along with my deepest thank you to our listeners for making this podcast successful, I want to thank the people who make it happen. First off, the amazing Megan Cordier for helping me put this project into motion and helping me every day with so many things. Uh, The multi-talented Will Reynolds, uh, as well as the begrudging Elizabeth Stanley for our theme music. All of our guests who generously donate their time and talents. And to my partner in crime, Leo, for generously allowing me to dedicate this large portion of my MTCA work time to something I enjoy so much. And with that, let's bring him on, the incomparable Leo Ash Evans. Well, we are beyond excited to have the great Leo Ash Evans on the pod today. Don't call me Evans, it's Evans, um, for our 100th episode. Uh, 
Leo has a BFA from Carnegie Mellon University. He's been on Broadway in shows like Jesus Christ Superstar, his debut, which I was most certainly in the front row for, <laughs> Shuffle Along, School of Rock, lots of great off-Broadway stuff and tours. For instance, like West Side Story, one of the many times he played Riff, 42nd Street. He also has a really wonderful voiceover career that we're going to get into and is the other director of MTCA, my partner and work husband, Leo Welcome to the pod. How are you feeling today? Uh, <laughs> it feels good to be back. I love it. I'm I'm very excited to do this. Are are you honored to be our hundredth episode? I mean, this is well the centennial. When you said a hundred, I first couldn't believe that you actually are up to a hundred, and then I thought, well, I better be. No, okay. <laughs> no, but when May, when Megan asked me, I was like, well, hell yeah, I'd, of course I'd love that. We thought about saving you for a thousand, but we thought, no, no, we got to go for the hundred where we can. We can't keep the people waiting that long. No. The truth is true. I'm going to start you off with the first question because everyone wants to know about your life. And we're going to talk a lot about the sort of theme of today is like, how do I become a Leo Ash Evans? Um, but we'll start with the same question we ask everybody, which is if you can remember back to 16, 17-year-old Leo, mm -hmm. and what you were thinking about in the college process. So like, if you had a goal for like, here's what I think I'm looking for in a school, really when you started the process, what were those goals and maybe how did it change over the course of the process as you did it? I mean, it feels like it was so many moons ago. <laughs> it feels it so, it was so long ago. No, but I, I you know, I would say that the, the, the number one thing that I wanted out of a school that sounds so basic is to learn. Like I really wanted to be in school because I never felt that I was ready to make a professional career. I always felt, my gosh, I know there's so much for me to learn. And I knew that like the, the principal acting work within musicals and plays was always my passion. So I knew that in order to be more likely successful in doing it, I needed to train. So yep. I didn't even care so much about which school as much as I've got to get training. Yep. And you often talk to our wonderful NTCA students about your relationship with your parents. Um, mm. Tell me a little bit, what was that like navigating this process with them? Were they supportive from the beginning? Did they have separate goals of yours? How did that go for you? They were always supportive. I feel very fortunate that, especially with all of our MTCA students, when you know there's pressure in the house or someone isn't as supportive of a theater career, my parents always, they love the arts. They took me to plays and musicals. Um, they were always listening to soundtracks in the car, movie soundtracks, show recordings. So yeah, I always had a very supportive um, family. They, they always wanted you know me to, to pursue the dream. It was never about how much money are you going to make? Mm -hmm. It was never about, you know, um, you know, being at the top of a law firm or, or some big successful surgeon or doctor like that. Never. It was always about what makes you happy. And I think if my, my parents were here, I think my mom would certainly say this started young, that you mm -hmm. were like, you know, running around the house. Apparently my father tells a story. I don't totally remember this to be true, <laughs> but apparently he tells a story that I got into a big fight with him. He doesn't remember exactly what we were fighting about, but I went, well, dad, I'm going to be on Broadway. And I stormed up the room and like slammed my door. <laughs> I definitely believe that I would be emotional enough to, to scream that. There's no question about that, but I still don't quite remember the story like that. But according to him, that's how I, that's how I, I punctuated the argument. And how right you were, how right <laughs> you ended up being. Um, but so you ended up getting into a lot of schools. You did this process. Um, yeah. What made you pull the trigger on Carnegie Mellon? What made you say, this is definitely the right fit for me. I want to go here. Well, the irony of that is that because growing up, you know, 40, 45 minutes north of the city on a good day, 
I never thought I'd want to go there. I always mm -hmm. thought that going to college meant get away from home. I was very aware of the reputable program. I was aware, you know, as a Pittsburgher, you know, the the prestige that came with the program. But, you know, my parents were Michigan grads, so they were really excited for me to audition for Michigan. And I, when I got there, I thought this campus is like really big. Are we mm -hmm. still walking on the campus? You know, so it wasn't until I did the actual audition at school that made me fall in love. And I remember, I remember exactly who I talked to. His name was Justin Brill. Justin Brill was a junior when I was a freshman. And I thought he like is, he's like me, like mm -hmm. this guy talks and sounds and, and like, I want to be, and I want to be like him. Mm -hmm. So I remember that. And I remember, I remember Gary Klein and I remember Don Wadsworth. I remember the long creaky hallway of Margaret Morrison. This is before the Purnell center that they currently have in these like creaky wood floors. And I thought, you know what? Creaky wood that means good acting. Like, I, <laughs> creaky I, wood is what sealed the deal. Yeah, there was like a creakiness. And I was like, ooh, there's a lot of talent here. Like it, it just all came together. <laughs> and, and then I just kind of like, I, like everybody else in this process, you're like, I don't know if I'm going to get in. You know, they, uh -huh. they talked to me, you know, and they gave me adjustments. and But I just kind of kept my fingers crossed. Mm -hmm. um, I got to quibble with you with 45 minutes away from Carnegie Mellon. Are you taking a horse-drawn carriage? I mean, come on. You gotta, I got to pedal the metal. I'm making 25 minutes. Come on. Really? 25? Oh, for sure. Maybe Florida, you're right. Not 45. Maybe 30. 35. <laughs> <laughs> um, so tell me a little bit about... So then, you, of course, you did get in. You chose to go to Carnegie Mellon. Tell me a little bit about the Carnegie experience for you. What, what was it like? What's like the biggest oh thing God. that you take away from those years? Right, right. You know, it really, it really, I think the biggest thing I take is the talent of my classmates. I mean, the teachers, of course, were amazing, but I remember just thinking, my God, I am surrounded with so many really good people. Mm -hmm. So the, I think the inspiration came frequently from just day in and day out, looking up to people that did amazing things that I wanted to aspire to be like. And, you know, artistically, I just had never, I mean, North Allegheny High School, an amazing place, but not, not loaded with a lot of people majoring in theater. So to finally meet people that were like me um, was amazing. And I think the other, you know, these years are coveted. You, you, you never get this chapter back. And there's something so beautifully um, vulnerable and sensitive. And, and I was learning who I was mm -hmm. as, as a man, as an artist. It wasn't just about growing as an actor, but there's something about that, like 16, 17 to 21, 22. Um, and it just was very, it was... I, you know, you don't realize the power of it while you're in it. But the further away I am at my older age now, when I look back, I think, my gosh, those were such pivotal years because I, I grew so much as mm -hmm. a person. Is there a class that you feel like, I never thought I would use this or that you're surprised how much you ended up using? Is there a class that you like particularly remember fondly? Voice and speech was the class that I thought, oh God, get me out of here. This is the, this is so boring. Nah, nah, nah. Breaking the light bulbs. Oh my God. I was like, this is ridiculous. If my parents knew they were supporting me with that tuition, they mm -hmm. would be, I thought they would think we're laying on the ground. What are we doing? And I would like, and I remember we would like leave class and I'm like, are, are you guys liking this? We just moaned for half an hour. That was it. Right. What are we yeah. doing? But now other projects that other classmates complained about, like animal projects, for example. Mm -hmm. I had Barbara for that. I loved it. Mm -hmm. I was like, I get to embody an animal and walk in a circle and then like create a human where other people were complaining about that. I thought mm -hmm. that was really cool. Um, but yeah, so, so I would say the class that surprised me is voice and speech. The other person that really made an impact on me was Thomas Douglas. Mm -hmm who was so much about not kind of getting it right. It's either right or it isn't. Mm -hmm. And it he was like a, it was a music skills, music theater workshop class. And he was quite 
inspiring. And he would he would call us out, Charlie. He would say, "Did you guys um did you guys really learn this song, or did you listen to the cast recording? Because just because you listen to the cast recording doesn't mean it's accurate." And I remember being like, "Ooh, Leo, you have been caught red-handed. You totally <laughs> listened to the cast recording." Uh, Jimmy Nicholas called that class life skills. He was like, "It's music skills, yeah. but we called it life skills." Really, yeah. That's very, I agree with Jimmy. That is totally true. It's like he, he teaches unbelievable lessons to life. Um, What about now? Of course, so many of our our friends and colleagues are becoming professors and heads of these programs. My God. But if you could go back and teach a class at Carnegie Mellon, what do you feel like was missing? What are you like? I wish I'd known a little bit more of this. Hmm. Well, I guess, you know, and this is no, this is no criticism to the school, but I think sometimes they hold on to all of the amazing teachers for four years in a beautiful way that I love for the four years. But if, as I look back, the one thing I wish I would have had is maybe someone from New York City mm-hmm. or someone from LA, somebody who was there regularly, maybe for a semester or two senior year that could really give the real play by play as far as the business goes, because I always kind of had a natural knack for the entrepreneurial side of me. Mm-hmm. Um, little did I realize MTCA would come along the way that it did. But even as an actor, I liked the idea of thinking of me as Leo Ash Evans Incorporated or mm-hmm. Leo Ash Evans, the business, not just like, where do I fit in? You know. Mm-hmm. So I wish that maybe the business side of stuff senior year wasn't the school teaching it to you, but maybe some more outside help. I know other schools now do that. The other thing was, Charlie, like I was on the cusp of um, you know, pop rock in the music theater uh-huh. in New York City. It was just happening with like Saturday Night Fever and Hairspray was about to open. So I wish I could have had more classes with that because that took me a long time to get more confident singing. I was yep. more I was more confident with my contemporary and traditional music theater stuff. And now it's like, it's such a part of everybody's book. Well, it's a huge part of your Broadway career too, is what, right. in terms of what you're singing. That's the irony. Yeah, right. Um, so then I love it. We'll get into some of the coaching and some of the uh, um, entrepreneurial sense uh, a little bit more in the second half. But I'd love to just take that Leo Ash Evans Inc. at 22, sort of entering into the business. What was it like in terms of, you know, you showcase and then what happens? How are you navigating those early first years as you're, you're hit in the city? I was so hungry. Charlie, I used to always say to everybody, I ha- I was having a relationship with show business. Mm-hmm. I mean, I did start to have an f- actual relationship at, what, 25. But for the first three years, I was in like a full, committed, monogamous relationship with <laughs> The honeymoon music. phase. Oh. Just making out all the time. With all show the time. Oh, making out at Pearl, at Ripley, online, <laughs> the Actors' Equity <laughs> building. I mean, but but no. What I was very fortunate to score an agent right out of Showcase. That was really helpful to have someone... As as, as they like to say, you know, the Leo team. Mm-hmm. I always tell young actors, of course, it's not just about the agents. So of course, the main reason I was successful right out, out of the gate was the fact that I was hungry. I hustled. I, I, I mean, I remember packing a bag. My first year was living in Astoria, Queens with two roommates. And I remember packing a bag, which would have jazz shoes, tap shoes, um, an extra pair of dress shoes to go with the extra button down that had the repertoire, that had the water bottle, that had the sn- snack bar. I mean, and I loved it. Mm-hmm. I remember a paper planner. I didn't, Yes, people, it took me a while. <laughs> Telly, my best friend, he always laughs and says, you know, Leo, you're electronically deficient, which is that. That's true. But but the reality is, is that I, I had that paper planner and I would write out auditions. I would highlight, I'd asterisk. But the point is, is that I loved like looking ahead for the week mm-hmm. and going, okay, what are the agent calls? What are my uh, EPAs? What are my course calls? It was, it was awesome. 
Well, and I love, you know, you had this such a successful early career, mm-hmm. but the delay to the Broadway debut, right? There's a, a bit of time before we're yeah. going to hit that Broadway debut. I'd love to kind of talk about those years where you're navigating, you know, you're doing these tours, you're doing international shows, you're doing regional yeah. shows. What was that experience of balancing kind of building that life in New York City and the and the relationship you're having with New York City and the show business there, but also performing so many different places? How did that work as you're kind of navigating those different areas? Yeah, it was it was interesting. I was going to a lot of those open calls or agent submissions for Broadway too. I just wasn't booking those at a young age. I I think in a lot of ways I was I was meant to be on that principal track right off the bat. And I kept booking international, like you said, um, Billy Lawler in 42nd mm-hmm. Street was my first big booking right out of college in September. And I left the country and was in Moscow, Russia. You said earlier, you know, Riff and West Side Story. And then I, I went on a string of lots of principal roles in regional theater, off-Broadway. And I just kept booking. And of course, you ride the wave. Um, and yeah, it just, it just kind of, for me... What I loved about principal work was that I could I could feel and experience myself growing as an artist as I played those roles. So to me, it wasn't so much about I got to take that role for health insurance weeks or pay. It was more of, Leo, you just booked the MC in Cabaret. Mm-hmm. You just booked um, Black Stash and Peter and the Starcatcher. Those roles are going to be not only so invigorating, but you're going to keep growing. So I think that I think Carnegie Mellon really put instated a lot of that in me. And then I wanted to keep at it. So as I started to book those roles, that just felt in a way, Broadway became less significant to Uh me. I actually didn't care as much about the Broadway show because I thought I'm working consistently from gig to gig to gig. And and I was happy doing that. So it's funny that when I had the debut and my agents called me, I I I laughed. And he was like, Leo, why are you laughing? You th- you're, you... I said, I just think it's funny after all these years. It it happened. And I, I didn't even really take that. I mean, I took it seriously, but I just didn't. It, it, to your point earlier about and my debut, two of my shows have been Andrew Lloyd Webber rock shows. Uh-huh. I just never imagined originally that that would be the path. Yep. And, and then it happened. And by the time it happened, it was no longer on the pedestal for you that it might have been at 24 or something. It wasn't right. in the place at 20... of everything. Yeah, at 24, 25, like when I wasn't booking Broadway, I did have some like, I don't know if I'd say embarrassment, but I was thinking, I thought it would have happened by now. Mm-hmm. Why didn't it happen? You know, and, and it would, but but then pretty quickly, because I was always working, I did own, well, that's, that's not your path at right. the moment. You know, and I think I always knew in my heart of hearts, Leo, you're not like hanging it up at 30. So, you know, as I, as I kept going and, and, you know, that is advice I always give young actors, which is. You just stay at it. And if you want to do it, it it likely comes your way. And was there any kind of like, you know, and this is now we're going to get into some of your life with FTCA too and all the other things you're building in New York City. But was there any of that kind of geographic consideration at some point for you to say like, I do want to do stuff in New York too, you know, in terms Mm -hmm. of I'm doing all this amazing stuff, but it's pulling me away from the city of like, was there a conversation with agents of like, I want to do stuff, even if it's off Broadway, but in New York? Yes, that did start to happen a little bit with the career of like, I keep going away. It actually was another actor who jokingly said, Leo, you're like the regional king. Mm Mm-hmm. And I went like the kiss of death. That's nice. Yeah. Like, (laughs) yeah. Aren't aren't you sweet? Like, you know, and it it was weird because ultimately at my heart of hearts, I was so proud of those accomplishments. So I knew that the path that I was on was right for me and that I, Charlie, it wasn't exciting to me. I I would have gone from a, a chorus ensemble track to another one at a young age, but it wasn't 
the path for me. And I, and I just was playing these principal roles and yeah. I felt myself growing. Then once I was on it, the irony was that my first gig on Broadway was a featured ensemble track. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So that's why I part, that's kind of why I laughed was I thought, Oh my God, after all this time when I was ready <laughs> to book it. Yeah. 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 Yep. Totally. But there, and there's something to your point of like, you did all that training of like, you got to flex those muscles in a different way, playing principal roles. It is a different right. experience no matter where you're doing. Right. Um, let's talk a little bit about some of those iconic roles. And I think I want to maybe especially talk about some of those iconic roles you've played multiple times, right? You got to do the MC, you got to do riff, right? You got to have a couple cracks at some of these roles. Yeah. How, how do you approach that role for yourself when you're doing that little like personal remount? Like, is there something conscious of like, I'm trying to explore a different thing, this version, or is it I'm just letting it speak to me, however yeah. it comes with this director? How do you approach that when you're playing it for a third, fourth, fifth time? Yeah, and this is another irony to my career. I wasn't necessarily looking hard for repeating all of these roles, but I've, I've been so fortunate that a lot of these roles that I have been able to repeat are like some of the biggest musicals in our songbook collection that and musical um um canon he means the word canon canon <laughs> charlie that's it i, I know think. i know i know um i just i was so excited to get to do them but yeah i mean things like the mc or riff i was always still hungry to do more and what's so cool about the second time or the third time is now you're starting the first rehearsal with it really already in your body but now you get to explore other textures and other colors and other layers that maybe you didn't get to do. I mean, the the one disadvantage to regional theater is the short shelf life. You do all of that work and then you have what, like a two week run, a three week run. I mean, maybe Summerstock a one week run. I mean, so you you do all that same work that you would if it was Broadway. But then it ends, mm-hmm. and a, a lot of times, you know, you find your best work in the last couple shows. And then you're like, oh no! I mean, so when I the second time I booked the MC, the the director at the at the callback actually said to me, Leo, I actually would like to ask you, why are you here and wanting to do the role again? <laughs> right. And I loved it. And I said, thank you for asking me that. I said, I am so like, I, I just feel so um, shortchanged. I feel like I I was um, robbed mm-hmm. of a full MC experience the first time because it, at Houston Theater Under the Stars, Houston Tuts. It was a great run, but it was a month. Mm-hmm. That was it. You know, mm-hmm. so I was so excited to explore it. The other thing, too, is what's great about regional theater is the size of a house. So like the first time I did it, I think it was a 1600 or 1400 seat house. Mm-hmm. The next time was, I think, 600 seats in Denver. So that really changed the experience for me. And I don't know, probably it's the Carnegie Mellon actor boy in me, but I just love different directors, different approaches. I've never, Charlie, artistically been latched on to saying, this is the way you play Mm -hmm. the MC. This is the way, this is riff. I would rather have like the artistic experience with a director going, you know, I'm seeing it like this and then I get to contribute. Really, that's interesting because I approach it this way. So what are we going to create together? Mm -hmm. That to me is like way more exciting than, you know, the one way. So again, I think the, um, the, it is, I, I talk about that a lot that I played Tulsa so many times, Will Parker. And, you know, I just came off of playing Tate and Ragtime. Yes. I know that's going to happen again. Yep. It, I, I finished it and I went, Leo, you're already on the younger, youthful side. Mm-hmm. You're going to do this again. And I can't wait to do it again. That's so cool. Yeah. Um, okay. We're going to take a short break. We're going to run a few ads. And on the back end, we're going to talk about the many hyphens of Leo Ash Evans. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, we are back with the great Leo Ash Evans, and we're going to talk about the many wonderful hyphens that make up my wonderful work husband. But before we get into the complexity of the hyphens, the theme of this episode is how does one become a Leo Ash Evans? And before the specifics, I want to go to big picture, because this is a question I think a lot of our parents and former students always would like to ask. You my work husband, like to throw around C's, like cost and curriculum. And I'm going to throw some C's back at you. You ready for this? Okay. You are a person who is overflowing with both charisma and confidence, right? That's something I think of when I see you. How do you cultivate the charisma and confidence that it takes to be a Leo Ash Evans? Oh, Charlie, that made me tear up. That's really (laughs) sweet that you took the C's and created Leo C's. Um, That is accurate. You are 100% right. I, you know, charisma is something I feel I was born with. I do feel like that was something that like, I just wake up and I, and I do have a lot of that energy and, and my parents rewarded that, that part of my personality, Mm -hmm. the confidence, I guess, I think first comes from, you know, like my, my parents and just the belief that they had in me. Um, So yeah, I mean, those are very accurate confidence and, and charisma are both traits that I do lead with. And so many of our parents, I mean, they'll always ask me this. I'm like, where does Leo, sometimes I'll be like, where do both of you, but where does Leo get the energy? energy. Like what fuels Leo? <laughs> like what keeps him going? I don't know. I mean, I do think that sometimes I do, sometimes I do think it's weird how much, like I'll look at my week and I'll go, Leo, how are you still operating with this much energy? Wow. Um, I, I think that this is the classic answer that I know a lot of people give. I love I love what I do, Charlie. Mm-hmm. There is nothing in my day that I'm ever doing that I'm like, I don't want to do this. Like, or I just, or like my amazing assistant, Lisa does it, or, or, or I have a, an accountant that does it, or I know that I need to reward myself with, um, I get a massage once a month. Like I am willing to reward myself. Um, I take vacations. I didn't take vacations all the way through my twenties. So I do think, I do think it is important to know yourself and what you need. And then you know, I did. I do remember back when Oprah was on TV. God, I miss that show on like ABC every four a day at four o'clock. And I remember she had an entrepreneurship, um, or, mm-hmm. or not entrepreneurship, but entrepreneurs, business owners on TV, and they were all like, you know, millionaire, billionaires. How did you? How do you find your success? And one of them did say, "You got to love what you do to make mm-hmm. money at what you do." So there is something to say for I'm. I'm grateful that I I do wake up with all of this energy. But then a lot of it is fueled by the actual work that I'm doing, the tasks that I believe I believe in my different uh, um, buckets or different mm-hmm. you know areas. But it's also the people you work with. So hey. like you, my friend, my hey. partner, in crime, yeah, you can't work with people that you don't. They're not your people. Then. Yep. Yeah. So true. Well, and I would have the third C would be passionate. It just doesn't start with a C. But you're definitely <laughs> very passionate as well. That is definitely. Well, we'll make up a word. 
Cashinate. Cashinate. He's caffeinated. <laughs> yeah. Cashinate. Um, okay, let's do some more uh, C's and some Wait hyphen. a minute. What? Wait a minute. That's a story that is pretty good. Remember, I can't remember which mother was it when we were doing a webinar and she said, Leo, are you actually <laughs> drinking coffee? Like you need any more energy? At 9 p.m. or whatever. Right. I was like, well, you tried doing this at 9 p.m. <laughs> yes, I need coffee. Too funny. Um, but to more C's, I want to talk about career coaching um, because before you started with your wonderful MTCA work, you were a career coach, right? I think it's one of the reasons we met through uh, the wonderful Telly Leung, our first Map in the College Edition artist guest, shout yeah. out, knew you were doing career coaching, said this is for someone who's going to be a great fit for MTCA. Yeah. What inspired that early work? And I guess, what would it have looked like if I, back in the day, were like, I want to go to Leo Ash Evans and get some career coaching? Yeah. Well, it all started kind of on its own. I wasn't like trying to be a coach, but all of my peers that I would audition with knew I was working steadily and they were, I think, inspired by it. And I remember one time um, a female said to me, Leo, what is it? What's your trick? And I said, trick? I don't have a trick, but I did start to rattle off a couple things that I do thinking she does them too. You know, I had talked about recording my auditions as far as like a log goes, not actual yeah. audio, but recording what I do, how I felt about it, kind of like journaling, but I would do it consistently. I had like an industry log where I was keeping track of the people that I've worked with, you know, and I thought that these were kind of basic tools that everybody was doing. I mean, I didn't, I guess I didn't learn that at Carnegie Mellon. It was kind of just something that I, in, in a nerdy way, kind mm -hmm. of wanted to just, I think I knew in my head, Leo, you're meeting these people through readings and workshops and shows, figure out your, you know, your system. And I was creating a system, devising a system for myself. So then when, when somebody asked, she, she said, well, let me pay you. And I said, no, 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 Let, let's just, we, you don't have to do that. She said, no, no, I want to. So then I started realizing, oh, well, wait a minute. I, mm -hmm. I guess I could make money helping people. I love the idea of being able to help make some money in my young 20s. But it was always fueled, again, with the the task at hand, which was I liked knowing that what comes naturally to me in a confident, charismatic way where other people were negative, jaded, down on themselves, lacked the mm -hmm. self-confidence, I could really inspire people. And I think I'm good with professional actors to listen and hear their problem and then, again, prompt prompt the right questions so that that they figure it out, just like good directors for actors. Yep. Um because everyone's career is so unique and individual that I don't know. I think I think what makes a good career coach or just coach period is someone who doesn't have like a black and white way. You, the, you've got to recognize that each individual has their own kind of path, mm -hmm. and if you can help, um, you know, if you can help blossom that for that individual, mm -hmm. then it that's how they're successful. Well, as a career coach, and then for many years as an all-star monologue coach, <laughs> yep. and then an assistant director, and now director. I mean, yep. also you did song coaching with NBCA, dance coaching. You've done yep. it all. A true yep. triple threat, quadruple threat, whatever yeah. it is. Um, what about, you know, from those monologue coaching days, what was like your favorite thing about being a monologue coach? What do you miss the most uh, from those days? I do miss it. I real, I'm so glad you asked that. I do miss it. And all my, all my kiddos out there that had me out there, what's so wild is my last student now works for MTCA, Kate Fahey. She was my last monologue student. But I I would say the thing I miss the most is just the one-on-one -on -one connection. Mm -hmm. I, I do miss that, that I love as a director leading big groups of students and groups of parents, but there's something really, really beautiful and special about that one-on-one. -on -one. Mm -hmm. uh, I miss that. I miss, I miss helping people find pieces that they really connect with. I had a great collection of pieces, still do, 
And I just feel like that's really fun to see somebody read something that goes, Leo, that's what I want. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I miss that. Um, But what I love about the current situation, unlike that, was that that was only a one-on-one and I wasn't reaching volumes of people, which I know provide me a different kind of satisfaction. Uh Well, and then what about as a director? Obviously something you're currently doing and, you know, you've seen this process from beginning to end now for over a decade in terms of seeing all these students and all these families go through this. What is your favorite part of taking this journey with our families each year? What do you love the most about it? I like diffusing a lot of false information or rumors that exist from someone else's previous experience. I, I really like to make each family feel that it is personalized for them because that's how they've been successful in getting into lots and lots of programs. Um, and again, there is no one size fits all in mm-hmm. acting. I mean, I feel this way about my own performing career all the time. You know, relationships come and go, um, you know, directors that you think you're going to work with and rehire you don't. I mean, I can think of shows that I thought that's going to be my Broadway debut and then it closed. Mm -hmm. I mean, so similarly to um, MTCA, people who feel that school is the end all be all. Mm -hmm. And I'm going, why are you doing that? Why are you why are you creating this false reality reality that all the answers live at X school over here? Well, what about Y and Z over there? Like they're they are wonderful. So I like the challenge to try to wreck to make a family realize all the answers don't exist in one school. It's such a funny bit of advice that you're giving there, um, because when we're just about to release Talia, um, who's a former MTCA student, and that is and the my, one thing- And one of my monologue students. I was going to say, that's one of the things that she said. She said the only thing she would have changed about her process if she'd done it again was to not think that all the answers lived at one school, yeah. because it didn't end up being the school that she went to, and she loved the school that she went to. So yeah. um, a little bit of a success story there. Yeah. Um, what about the sort of struggle of balancing it all, right? As you yeah. proudly lead with all these hyphens, we're going to talk about voiceovers too, another hyphen of yours. Do you find it difficult to be clear to the outside world of like, I'm still an actor in navigating all this? Yes. As, as people t- say, who are you? What are you doing? What's all this stuff? stuff? Yes, it's terrible. It's my one thing about it that I always tell people that it, while it, it has a lot of positives and perks, it is really hard in show business to to wear multiple hats. I've, I've kind of had a little secret sideline laugh in the pandemic, watching so many people suddenly discover all of these other artistic skills that now they want to, you know, invest in. And I'm thinking, are you kidding me guys? Like I've been doing this since 25 coaching voiceovers acting. It's hard though, because certainly there each bucket can live in its own kind of siloed Island for me. And I'm the one who has to make sure that the energy and the attention is, is spacing stuff out. The other interesting parallel, Charlie, is that I'm a Libra and Libras are all about balancing scales. So I do feel in my life, like especially with the pandemic, when I mean, I had never gone almost two years without doing a stage show before, and that was eating me alive. So when ragtime finally happened, I was like, oh, my God, thank God. Like it just it, it, it felt so good to get to do it again. So that's how. And why I'm successful at doing multiple areas is that I I do seriously love all of them. So, you know, I remember when I had my Broadway debut and someone said, oh, so now you're done coaching. Oh, are you going to give up MTCA? And I went, no, idiot. Why would I do that? Right. What are you talking? I adjust the schedule. Sure. But so, yeah, I mean, and then it's also just a good business answer. I mean, the reality is, is now like the show that must go on didn't like mm-hmm. the show closed like we watched bro- so so many people i think then learned you know just out of necessity you, you got to be smart about your career and how do you diversify yeah. yeah diversifying is huge i mean so 
you know, that's where my voiceover career I'm so grateful for because it is a much more lucrative business than stage, you know, so. We, now you and I, share a voiceover agency now, woot woot. <laughs> but how did you discover this talent of yours and how do you continue to work to cultivate this? Because it's something you're really so successful at. How did that happen for you? That's not something that necessarily everyone who graduates from drama school is is stepping into that career. Yeah. Um, I, well, it stays in the Carnegie Mellon family because Sue Serretta, who I had been doing a lot of, um, Suzanne Serretta, I always called her Sue in school, but now she goes by Suzanne. Um, she has a very successful voiceover career herself at Innovative. And when I was working with her, uh, for something unrelated. It was actually, she does a lot of great accent dialect work. Mm -hmm. I was working with her on that. And then she said to me, do you have a voiceover agent? And I said, no, I've been trying to do this. It's really hard. I used to do it in Pittsburgh a lot. Mm -hmm. And then she introduced me. And even when she introduced me, I thought, ah, she's just, I'm just, they're just taking a meeting to be nice. And then I remember Deborah Sherry, um, she was the, my point person at the time was like, all right, you sound great. I'll start sending you out. And I'm like, what? No, you're not. And then she did. And then one of the big reasons I always say this to to young actors, so much of success in whatever field is is also a little bit of luck. Mm -hmm. And I had a little bit of luck that I booked a sharp national voiceover. I think it was on my third audition or something. Mm -hmm. So that helped a lot because then I think that gave them the they were like, see, we told you you're great at it. You know, so it was something like that. I I thought, oh, my God, I'm embarrassed. I can't believe I'm not embarrassed. I was so excited. And um They've been amazing. I mean, it's yep. just, it's so, I mean, it's, you know, the voiceover world's changed a lot. A lot of what was union work now is sadly non-union mm-hmm. work. So that's hard on me, but um, they've been amazing. I mean, they've just been awesome. Well, other than just getting lucky and booking your third uh, audition, yeah. what advice would you give to a young actor or maybe a not so young actor who's a fellow <laughs> podcast host and work husband, if you're trying to build that voiceover career, yeah. what are the things that you can kind of actively be doing to improve or to to work to, um, yeah. yeah, what would what advice would we give? If I'm well, trying to I will say that? just like singing and acting, dancing, like it is practicing. I mean, there is that, like, you know, you can, and now with our phones, it doesn't have to be a high tech microphone. It can, you can practice anywhere. It's all about, um, first, it's all the same things with acting. Voiceover is always about who's your audience, who are you talking to, what do you want? Um, Even though it's only in like one or two sentences, that stuff still exists. Mm -hmm. And then someone gave me this advice. Actually, it was was Deborah. um, Said to me, when you're doing multiple reads, don't don't give too many different versions or it sounds like nothing is authentic. Uh-huh. So her, her, her point was live in a world that you know is authentically your voice and then give slightly different versions of what you're doing. Not that you're giving like three polar opposite. Hi, how you doing? Hi, mm-hmm. how you doing? Like they don't then they're like, who? which one's Leo? You know, mm-hmm. it just doesn't help. Um, but yeah. And then, you know, I think it's it's to simplify. That's the biggest thing yeah. is that we're in that little me, myself and I moment. Um, and something I did, Charlie, in the pandemic and in my new uh, condo that I purchased is I made my walk-in closet a voiceover booth. So, so that was like the best money I've ever spent because now all my auditions are in there. I've done bookings in there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's funny. It's like you go in there and you're like, oh, hi, jeans. Hi, hi button down. Hi, hey, hi absorbs the sound. It's all good yeah. for it. It's so good. And it's also weird. I'm like, hey, we're real close in here. <laughs> um, but But it's been good. Yeah. Uh, I love it. Okay, I think it's time to play our very special game. As all of our artist guests do, you've already played two versions of the Newlywed Game. And I've realized this is a game that's really about me. But this is your episode, so we're going to play a game that's all about you and your special interests. I'm calling it Plant or Plant. 
So we're calling on Green Leo, and we're going to try to sniff out the difference between real plants or fake plastic plants that you hate. One of your least favorite things on earth. Okay. Sneezewort. Sneezewort. I do know plants with wart as the second half. So I'm going to guess that that's real. That is real. Sneezewort is real. Okay. Ficus lyrata. Real. That's real. real. It's a fiddly fig. I know a ficus. Yeah. Yeah, There we go. I have one. Fireside chat. (laughs) Fireside chat? That is the name of something else. Plastic. Fake. That's right. That's like what FDR did for like people. Right. Okay. Milk thistle. Well, that's interesting. I know milk weed. Milk thistle. I'm going to say that's real. It is real. You're four for four. You're doing great so far. Yeah. Monkey puzzle tree. (laughs) Wait a minute. Monkey you, puzzle tree. Puzzle tree? Like T-R-E-E? I want spellings. Yes. Monkey, the word puzzle, puzzle and then the word tree. You know, this kind of reminds me of Balderdash where you're supposed to make up def- <laughs> and then you guess them. Yeah. Uh, monkey puzzle tree. I'm going to say plastic. Ah, it's our first. Uh, Damn it. That is real. That's a real tree. Okay. Um, Crassula ovata. Crassula ovata. I mean, that's so sexy, that name. I Crassula like it. I, I want it to be real. It is real. It's a jade plant. Is yeah. that another way for a jade plant? Oh, okay. you mean, oh, you mean, wait, what did you say? Uh, a jade plant? For those not in the video, Leo has real yeah. props. Oh, yeah, nobody can see that. I forgot about Pixie's that. nose. What is this, Peter Pan? Pixie's nose. Pixie's nose? Um, I'm going to say, I know nose in names. I'm going to say that's real. It's fake. It's fake. It's fake. Sticky Willy. Sticky Willy. <laughs> this is hysterical. Sticky Willy? I mean, yeah. what is this webinar? What is this webinar? What is this podcast trying to get to? Yeah, exactly. Sticky Willy. <laughs> there are weird names. I'm going to say real. That's real. Sticky Willy is real. Yeah. Um, Mimbalus Mimbletonia. Oh, my God. Mimbalus Mimbletonia. Real. It's fake. It's from the Harry Potter universe. Mimbles, oh, no. Mimbletonia is a Harry Potter plant. Um, moon shadows breath. Moon Ew. shadows breath. Sounds terrible. <laughs> moon shadows breath. Um, I'm gonna guess. Moon shadows breath. Mo- their moon is in plant names. I- I'll say real. It's fake. I made it oh, up. Oh Jesus. Kangaroo paws. Kangaroo paws. Real. <laughs> I like it. You got into that. Real. It's correct. Real. It is real. Corpse flower. Corpse flower. Real. Correct. Butcher's broom. <laughs> Fake. Plastic. Real. It's real. It's real. Damn it. Goat's beard. Oh, Lord. Goat's beard. Don't they already have them? No. Um, <laughs> goat's beard. Ye- real. Real. That's correct. Whiskey in the Glen. Whiskey in the Glen. <laughs> I mean, the amazing thing is so many of these real plants that I've gotten right, I don't know what they are. Um, <laughs> Some of these are like crazy obscure off the internet, let's be clear. Most of these are not like common plants. What is he in the class? This sounds like a Don Wadsworth game. He would. Did you do this with him? I don't remember <laughs> no. the episode. Okay. <laughs> He, I would say, fake. I made that up. Whiskey yeah, in the Glen. That fake. sounds a little charitable. Too much. It was a little too much. Yeah. Uh, lion's tail. Oh well, there's a lot of tails. Uh, I'll say real. That is real. Yeah. Scarlet pimpernel. Shut up, Charlie. That is fake. I it's love real. It. There's it a is? real Scarlet pimpernel. There is a Scarlet pimpernel. 
Actually, you know what? There is a flower on the on the logo. That is the Scarlet Pimpernel. So there I we are. That th- I never thought. I never knew that. That was a tricky one. Tricky one. All right, we have two more. Chlorophytum camosum. <laughs> Chlorophytum camosum. Real. That's a spider plant. That's right. Yeah. Cynomyscule cutaridal gauthily. This is just Charlie wanting to listen to his voice. Um, <laughs> That's this entire podcast. Like, uh, I don't know what you want from me. It's exactly true. That would be a lot for you to make up. But would you? I'm going to say it's real. It is fake. It's an anagram of musical theater college editions. I just oh, mix up the letters to end it up. That's good. Thank I give you, you perks for that. That was good. Um, in wrapping up here, um, I just do want to talk. We've been talking a lot of uh, our recent guests about their relationship with social media. So like... How you use it for yourself in terms of what you're outputting, right? What you're um, presenting yeah. on social media. And then also in terms of your own consumption. I know we have MTCA yeah. social media that you're doing too. So how, yeah. how, what is your personal relationship with, with social media in terms of input and output? You know, ultimately lately, not that great. I've just been kind of like exhausted by it. I kind mm-hmm. of feel a little, I think coming out of the pandemic, it makes me just hunger and long for what is real, which is picking up the phone and calling someone, at least texting them, but really calling them and actually like seeing people. So like something I've been giving myself as a, an assignment, it's like, Leo, you don't have to go pour a glass of wine and watch Netflix. You could actually go meet someone uh-huh. now for a glass of wine, you know? So social media to me is a little bit of a trap, but I have to say, if I'm in a silly mood, I do it. So mm-hmm. like the other day I was in a silly mood and I wanted to post and I did, or like my peace lilies blooming. So I took a photo and I know people love my plant posts. Um, but yeah, it, I kind of go in and out with it. I, I, I do recognize that it is a part of showbiz. And I sometimes I get down on myself that the amount of followers that I have or lack mm-hmm. is not reflective of my success in the business. And mm-hmm. that I don't like. That makes me uncomfortable going, I'm, I am, I'm very successful in so many areas of my life that then someone would think that I'm not based on social media followers that I don't like. But the actual act of doing it, if it's if it's like it's a moody thing for me, I go in and out. What about you know you have these iconic birthday posts? Your day you put on people's things, right? Where did that come from? What inspired the iconic your day? That is a great question. I have consistently done that for as long as Facebook has been around. Yes, and I joined Facebook when I played Riff and Westside in London. The reason I joined was to get everybody's photos. People mm-hmm. would tag you, and I'd be like, "Well, I want Megan's photos. I want Charlie's photo." So I remember. That's why I made Facebook. And then when it was, I think I didn't want to be generic and go, happy birthday, Charlie. Like it just felt like generic. So I just, I don't know, your day. And I think what's fun is that it really feels like it's personally yours when obviously you share it with many, many, many Uh people. (laughs) Uh But yeah, it's just kind of become my thing. And yeah, everybody says that to me now when it's my birthday. Yeah, well, of course. It's your day. It's your iconic praise. Um, All right. My last question for you is just, any advice to a young artist who wants to grow up and become a Leo Ash Evans? What would that advice be? What should I do if I want to be a Leo when I grow up? Oh God, if there was, I mean, there's so many things. Um, but I think just, you know, uh, pursue the dream, the passion, whatever that thing is, um, with integrity. It's kind of been a thing that I think has gone away in some ways, whether that's social media, the pandemic, sometimes people, I don't know, they just, they, they get into it for the wrong reasons, but to have integrity in your work. And I think, you know, the thing I pride myself on in my own personal career in MTCA work with my friends too, is communication. So always think about how you're saying what you're saying, 
Mm-hmm. Don't don't like disappear and not show up when it's hard. You know, hard conversation. There have been so many times in my life, Charlie, where I've been burned by someone just like not getting, not talking to me about something or no, Leo, sorry, we're not going to use you moving forward because now you're too old for this show or, or you're, and I'm like, Jesus, why didn't you just tell me? Why mm-hmm. did I have to read it on Playbill? You know, mm-hmm. like, so, or breakups or professionally, personally. I mean, so to me, communication is also another big part of, if you're thinking about how to go through your career as a young and that's a good thing to think about. Well, we know we can follow him at Leo Ash Evans. That's E-V-E-N-S. That's why we say Evans. LeoAshEvans.com. I hear there's a website overhaul there, uh, coming. Big overhaul coming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, look Stay out for that. Stay tuned for that. Yep. And then, of course, at all the MTCA socials that you'll see in all the, so- the show notes as well. Leo, anything we missed? Anything you got to plug before we let you go? No, other than I am so proud of you, my partner. That as a 100th episode, I mean, what 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 you've done in launching our podcast is so exciting. And, and to get to see you for an hour hour like this is amazing yeah you're so in your you're in your element well it was such a pleasure thank you for the time today man i really appreciate it boom i hope you enjoyed that episode special 100th episode with leo ash evans um one of the biggest questions we get from our mtca parents is like is he really like that all the time? After they, maybe they watch his passionate delivery of a, a webinar or after meeting him in initial consultation. And I'm here to report, this is just Leo on a Tuesday. Um, of course, in different business settings, I get to see a Leo who's maybe a little more down to business and not as on as you hear here. But I will say that same spirited, energetic man that you see in public is the real Leo I work with every day. And that brings me to the takeaway I want to do for this episode, which is about Leo's passion. Uh, We talked about his charisma and his confidence, which may be something that isn't as present for our younger listeners. These may be qualities you're going to continue to cultivate in your training, in your career. But you all can connect to that drive, to that passion that motivates you for what your dream is. This is very similar to the idea we talked about with Ray, uh, Ray Mercer, you know, of, of nothing replacing hard work. But here I want to talk about not just the output of work, of what hard work is, but the engine that motivates you to continue to produce that output. This is true for our alumni listeners. This is true for our seniors wrapping their college processes this month and our students who are just beginning this process as juniors and sophomores. There is nothing that will be as valuable to the longevity of your career as the furnace that is powering the whole thing. I haven't made a sports analogy in a while. I was doing them a lot in the first season. I thought it was just a bit too much, but I'll make another basketball analogy here. Uh, We often look at successful players like Michael Jordan, LeBron James, Steph Curry, Steve Nash, Kobe Bryant, name who you want to name. And we think, oh my God, they are amazing. What an unbelievable amount of God-given talent they have. And of course, there's truth to this, whether it's being blessed with height or fast twitch muscle fibers or amazing hand-eye coordination, there's no question you need some level of aptitude to succeed at the highest level. But I could name you hundreds of players who had as much or more God-given talent as those people I just named. Uh, Stephon Marbury or Steve Francis had every bit as much talent as Steph Curry or Steve Nash. I like that one because all variations on Steph or Steven in that name. Uh, Current players like Ben Simmons or Zion Williamson have at least as much talent as Michael Jordan or Kobe Bryant were blessed with. What the latter two have is that ability to stay in the gym, to keep themselves motivated, and with their passionate love for the sport, achieve their fullest potential. 
And the same is really true for Broadway performers. For every household name you could name of amazing Broadway performers, I could name another hundred just as talented who didn't achieve that success. Now, that's not only about their hard work and preparation and motivation. There is plenty of luck involved in this career as well. Right? We all know that old quote, luck is what happens when preparation meets opportunity. But for plenty of these amazingly talented performers, including some of my classmates I can think of, their careers shifted because their engine ran dry much more than because they didn't have the talent to reach their fullest potential and their version of success. And one of the reasons I like to make these sports analogies so much is that this career is a career that really asks you to achieve your fullest potential just like sports. Not every career is going to demand that of you, since not every career is so competitive in terms of the supply and demand. A lot of people want to be in the NBA. A lot of people want to be on Broadway. I mean, it's a great goal in life, almost no matter what, to try to self-actualize. But if you're going to be a computer programmer, you might be able to be really successful at like 50% of your work potential, since that is an incredibly in-demand job, right? My little brother works for a computer company, and he could not be less passionate about his work, but they keep giving him raises and bonuses. That's the supply and demand of that particular segment of the economy. But if you want to make it in the NBA or you want to make it on Broadway in your mid-career after many close calls, like the great Leo Ash Evans, you need a particular tenacity that will help you reach your full potential as the multi-hyphenate artist that you can be. And to achieve that, you need to be deeply connected to the engine of your passion that will keep powering you through the ups and downs of this crazy career. Well, that's it. We've achieved it. A hundred episodes. We're going to keep going as long as you want to keep listening and as long as there are more schools to interview. And I still feel like I have something to say. As always, but particularly with our centennial episode, a huge thank you to our incredible producer, Megan Cordier. If you want to give us a virtual hug for our 100th episode, you can give us a rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. We love five stars and we love you sharing this podcast with your friends. Uh, you can also follow us at Mapping the College Edition on Instagram or follow MTCA in all of our social media listed in our show notes. You can also check out MTCA directly for help with your individual college audition prep at mtcollegeauditions.com. To my young artists out there mapping their journeys, do you believe acting talent is correlated with how creaky the wooden floors are? We'll see you next week. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. We are actuaries. In a world filled with unpredictability, we use our math skills to navigate uncertainty. Actuaries make a difference in people's lives across industries and the world. Actuaries have the freedom to work anywhere. And according to U.S. News & World Report, we're the 25th top-paying career. Make an impact as a fact-seeker and a truth-teller. Use your math skills for good as an actuary. The world needs you.